Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 5.30 p.m. Welcome to Eyewitness News live from our studios here at number 11, Dr. Morton Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is Nanatufu Abwating and this evening I am here with... Eno Safo. Coming up over the next one hour, 30 minutes, Electoral Commission proposes revision of the date for both presidential and parliamentary elections from December 7 to November 7. Also, coming up... Our message to government is very simple. We cannot pay BHC for purchases. We will not pay today, we will not pay tomorrow. Organized labor kicks against a 15% value-added tax imposed on electricity consumption and issues a seven-day ultimatum for its withdrawal. And later... When the permanent solution is done and they move back to their residences or they get their own houses, we don't want the building to become a white elephant. So the district has agreed with us that this building we'll be commissioning today would revert to become a skills training center. Management of City FM and City TV hands over second shelter project to house over 200 displaced victims in Adar located in the Adar East District. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News. But later, in business. GRE urged to adopt flexible approach towards businesses to enhance revenue mobilization. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates, including Adrimpa 100.7 FM in Takwa, Sky Power 93.5 FM in Takrade, and Beach 105.5 FM also in Takrade, all in the Western region. We are live in the Bunu region on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyai. Join us in the Ashanti region on Adrimpa 99.9 FM in Encarrier. You're welcome to Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohoi and Freedom 88.1 FM in Sugakope in the Volta region. We're live in the Northern region on Radio Gaki 88.3 FM in Sabuba. In the Upper East region, you're listening to Quality 88.7 FM in Garu. And we're live in the Northeast region on Nobia 98.1 FM in Nalirigu. The news is also live around the globe at citynewsroom.com. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. Let's get straight into the bulletin and Eno has our first story. The Boko Municipal Security Council in the Upper East Region is considering additional strategies to ensure peace in Boko following recent violence. Seven people have been killed in Boko in the past week and an additional five were shot dead in Binduri. The Municipal Chief Executive for Boko, Hamza Amadou, tells City News security measures have been intensified in response to the situation. The place is very calm. It is not as usual that people are busy moving about and conducting their businesses. It is that few people you can find on the street. And so I, I can tell you 
that um, there's peace. Apart from the incident that occurred yesterday in the afternoon, today generally and last night, um, it's a very peaceful atmosphere in Boko. I am just coming from the Municipal Security Council's meeting, and uh, we are looking at certain strategies and measures that we can put in place to ensure we forestall peace and security within the municipality. Has there been any arrest for yesterday's incident? Not yet, but the police are taking our signals and intelligence to see what they can do about arrest. Hamza Amadou is the municipal chief executive for Boko in the Upper East region. The National Association of Graduate Teachers has reiterated its call for the restoration of peace in Boko, Upper East region. The ongoing conflict has disrupted academic activities, leading to teachers leaving the area. The national president of Nagrat, Angel Kabunu, asked for an urgent government intervention to address the situation and ensure the well-being of students in the affected area. Anywhere there is conflict, anywhere there is fighting, teachers can have peace to work. It affects teaching and learning. It affects the students going to school. And the lives of the teachers can also not be at risk. So most teachers who are in those areas will have to first preserve their lives. The teachers there will have to first preserve their lives because they did not go there to be killed. That is why the government ought to take this conflict very seriously and find solution to the conflict. Because schools are not operating and the teacher's life is at risk. The student's life is at risk. So government should quickly find solution for teaching and learning to continue. We will just ask our teachers to preserve their lives, to secure their lives, because they cannot die. Because when they die, they will not even be there to be able to teach the children in the first place. So that is what we ask them to do. Whatever they have to do to preserve their lives, they should do that. Let's move on to some other stories now. The Member of Parliament for Ekepem South constituency, Osei Bunsu Amwa, popularly known as Obi Amwa, has officially withdrawn from the parliamentary primary scheduled for Saturday, January 27, despite earlier signalling his reluctance to seek a fourth term as MP for Ekepem South. He picked up nomination forms for re-election. However, he has now officially written to the General Secretary of the NPP, withdrawing from the upcoming primary. Here's the outgoing Member of Parliament speaking to City news so chief tell us are, are you quitting politics there's no indication i haven't indicated anywhere that i'm quitting politics i'm fully involved in politics um as we speak i'm the chairman of the research committee of the party um, i represent a party at ipac I'm, i play different roles so the issue of quitting politics doesn't come in at all except that i'm not standing again that's all People are talking about your experience over the years in uh, both the constituency and the national level. Uh, are you not sure they are going to? You are going to be missed. Well, thank you, thank you for the kind words. Um, it's for the people to judge whether I'll be missed. I cannot stand here and say that I'll be missed. Now, of course, by the grace of God, this is my fourth time in Parliament, and I've gathered experience along the line. I've also served in the executive. Um, that is the kind of experience that a party can always use at any time. So that is how it is. 
as to whether I'll be missed, I don't know how I'm going to be missed because I'm still actively involved in whatever goes on. The big question is why the sudden decision? It's for the national interest and personal interest, period. Obi Amwa is the Member of Parliament for Kwepem South. Well, my colleague Sami Yafe joins us in studio to shed more light on this. Uh, good evening, Sami, and welcome. Thank you very much, Nana. Good evening. Osei Bunsu Amoa, after four terms in Parliament, is uh, calling it quits. He's drawing the curtains, throwing in the towel, and of course, hanging his gloves with respect to him being a member of Parliament. The NPP is going to the polls on the 27th of January uh, to elect candidates for constituencies with uh, certain MPs. But Obi Amoa uh, has pulled out of the race. Uh, first off, the timing of he uh, announcing his withdrawal is uh, one that piques my interest uh, because i mean nominations have been filed already yeah. and uh, uh, correct me if i'm wrong his picture must be on the ballot it's on the ballot and it's been printed already mm-hmm. the party says they've done all their printing processes already so um this decision was really surprising but not really surprising to many people who were in the constituency because he had earlier announced that he wasn't going to run for a fourth term already he had earlier announced that you know enough is enough. He's done three times, and he wouldn't wish to come again. But then again, there was a decision by the municipal chief executive for that particular district mm-hmm. uh, with the name Frank Adu. Frank wanted to take over from Obi Amwa in future in the event that he decides not to contest again. Mm. Now, when Obi Amwa heard that Frank really wanted to contest, he decided to, okay, let me also run again. For the same seat mm. because we are told that there's a bit of friction between obi mm. and the municipal chief executive for the area and so the party had earlier set out a regulation that if you're a dc or an mc in an area where there's a city member of parliament if you want to challenge that city member of parliament mm. you should have resigned two years ago right now this particular clause affected edu mm. so he couldn't contest obi so the very day he filed his nomination and obi also filed when they went for vetting he was disqualified based on that particular mm. clause the party had issued before this election mm. now the gentleman is 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 um is is is, is disqualified from this whole race obi and two others are giving the green light to go and then obi takes the decision that he's withdrawing from the race the formation we are picking from the ground that a gentleman by name eric Samuel, eric Samuel, and not mensa happens to be the pa to obi he's also the research officer in the constituency more or less like the research guy or the go-to guy for obi mm-hmm. when it comes to research within the constituency he's the gentleman obi is endorsing to mm. take over from him in the event that he decides not to contest again. And so many people are predicting or many people are concluding that obi decision to withdraw from the race is to pave way for this Eric Samuel guy to take over from him okay. as a member of parliament for mm. the constituency. Now what has happened now is that the party will go ahead with the 27th January mm. primaries without the Kwiapim South constituency and then open fresh nomination. Okay. for individuals who wish to contest in this particular mm-hmm. race. Definitely, the MCE will come again because mm-hmm. the, the constituency executive in the Kriapim South mm-hmm. are backing the MCE for the area. And this time, there's no sitting MP There's no sitting MP, so he, he mm-hmm. automatically qualifies mm-hmm. to contest in this race. And this same gentleman, the Eric Samuel, who Obi Amwa was paving mm-hmm. way for him to come, may also want to seek a leadership challenge, a contest between these two individuals, Obi must come and then the camp of the executive. Mm. There's a third name in same constituency. One yes. Kwame Oforijewu. 
Kwame's name doesn't really come up as mm. someone who may be a threat. The risk right. is definitely between uh, Mr. Edu and uh, Samuel, uh, Eric, Eric Samuel. Mm. So the party says that on, on Saturday, they will allow all the other constituencies to go ahead with theirs mm -hmm. and then wait open nomination for the Kriapim South and mm. then they will see who will replace Obiyamwa in this constituency. But, Sammy, so, per the rules, uh, I'm quite interested because a similar situation is brewing in Suami. With respect to Kennedy Kankam, he is an MCE in a different constituency, more or less. Mm. So the the National Council at their last meeting was supposed to take a decision on this matter, mm. but we understand that a court case was or an injunction was placed was placed on this election. Mm. The information you are picking is that they've decided to settle the matter home. So the yes. argument is that they are going to settle mm. this matter in the house or if you ask them, they are going to deal with mm. it if you ask them. So this individual who took the matter to court, Nane Ajima also, happens to be a very close ally to the incoming member of parliament who happens to be Stephen Amwa Steka. Mm -hmm. So there's a belief that Steka who is pushing this gentleman to take this matter to court. The information I'm getting is that they've agreed that they will settle this matter out of court. The National Executive National Council will also uh, take this matter up and then set another date for it. The information I'm getting is that the 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 the, 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 the MC for which uh, Kennedy will be given the opportunity to contest in this particular in Shaiso uh, race. So mm -hmm. it's going to be a repetition of 20, uh, 2020, where these two gentlemen were in the race. They car won when he was formerly the CEO for uh, Maslock, and he won in this way. But it's interesting, the relationship between these two gentlemen, they go way, way back. When um, Kennedy was the regional organizer, mm -hmm. Steka was the regional youth organizer. Mm. Now, when Kennedy became the member of parliament in the Ishiasu constituency, Steka was promoted to be the acting regional organizer. Until mm. they contested, he contested his boss in this primaries of 2020 mm. and then defeated him. So it's going to be a repetition of what happened in the year 2020 mm. if he's given the go ahead to run this particular race. Right, let's, let's go back to our initial uh, um, story regarding Osebon Suama Obiyamwa. He was not part of the initial 18. Uh, who yes, he wasn't. Who, who he wasn't decided. because he had agreed to contest. So now he yes. adds to the number, yes. making it 19. Yes. Yes. Already there are concerns uh, re regarding the blow. One, it mm -hmm. deals to parliament. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, two, going into the contest against the NDC in the general election. So, I mean, if we can look at, at, at these two, the blow, it deals to parliament. Yeah. One, um, with respect to the loss of institutional knowledge. And then, of course, the party going into a contest against mm -hmm. the NDC in December. Well, I had the opportunity to speak to a former national chairman of the party, Mr. Freddie Blay, who has also one time served as a deputy speaker of parliament, mm -hmm. so a blend of the party and parliament. Now, he tells me that it's going to really affect the operations of parliament because you need experienced hands mm -hmm. when it comes to the day-to-day -day running of parliament. And you look at the lineup of individuals who say they are not running again. Mm -hmm. It's a pool of experience, the exactly. MPP as a political party. Yep is going to lose in terms of parliament because when they when they are new members of parliament they go through orientation they have to know the standing orders they have to know committee setting they have to know what do this do that it's a whole lot of process so by the time they adjust to settle of parliament they may be going into another election mm. which will affect them in one way or the other and so if you have all these experienced members of parliament who decide that on the go all of them are leaving it's a worry for 
parliament. And for the political party as an MPP, you need these members of parliament in the chamber to help with the, mm. with the, with the legislation of laws one mm. way or the other. The, someone like Obi Amwa, when mm. it comes to experience in... 20 years in parliament. 20 years in parliament. Four terms. Four terms. And at a point in time, he was the, the chairman of the sub, uh, subsidiary legislation. Before every bill mm. comes to the house, they are supposed to sit back, right. cross the door, the, 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 the T's and then cross the, the rest. So mm. if you are such an individual leaving parliament, it's a worry. For the MPP as a political, Obi Amwa is the mm. one, is the head of research for yeah. the MPP mm. as a political party, working in collaboration with um, um, the current director of research, mm. uh, Evans De Marco. Yeah. So if he's withdrawing from parliament, he still has his party duties. But his let's own. look at the Kwapim South constituency. Mm. It's a safety for the MPP. If Safe the MPP seats. puts anybody there, the party is going to Irrespective win. of Irrespective who? Irrespective of who. Because you see, OB there. has won four consecutive terms. Before before that, Obi was member of parliament for both Equiapim and Insaum. Yes. Until 2000, mm. until when it was divided yeah. and Insaum got his in, independence. Mm. So from there, he has served over the years mm. in that, in that he has the experience. But it's a very, very safe seat for the MPP. Mm. If you put me there, I'll win that seat. <laughs> <laughs> Quite interesting. But thank you so very much. Sami Riafid is my colleague from the City Newsroom. You're listening to Eyewitness News here on 97.3 City FM. Still ahead, organized labor kicks against 15% value added tax imposed on electricity consumption and issues a seven day ultimatum for its withdrawal. Stay with us. We'll be right back with the details. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News here on 97.3 City FM. Now, the Ghana Private Road Transport Union, GPRTU, last week announced an increment in transport fares. This was counted, of course, by the Ministry of Transport. Early today, the two bodies or organizations have met uh, over transport fares ahead or in the coming days or weeks or months. And so we want to find out really what transpired in that meeting. We'll go over the phone lines and speak to the Industrial Relations Officer of the GPRTU, Abbas Imoro. Good evening, sir. Hello, good evening, sir. Yeah, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Kindly help us understand what transpired today in that meeting with the Ministry of Transport. Uh, good evening to listeners or viewers as well. The meeting was the marathon one, of course. The finance minister and the transport minister were there as well. Finally, we the finance minister asked of our programs, of which we presented the new eco tax, of which. It's alongside the sanitation and pollution. We believe that is to pay double taxes on one item. And the time that most of the taxes were raised on our bare parts, and that they want to introduce the new VAT as well, of which they received all in good faith. The transport minister also asked us to justify the documentation on the new items that we are asking of where it has gotten to, which has brought us this far. But finally, the meeting could not be concluded 
we are to go back and furnish them with the required items or documents they needed, of which we are overconfident to submit those things. So the meeting came to an end pending the other items they needed. So we've gone back <clears throat> to put our house in a very good order and get back to them. Right now, uh, Mr. Boro, you, you, you put out your issues. What responses did you receive? Was there any counter uh, uh, the, responses? The, there wasn't any counter apart from the transport minister requesting documentary proof of what we presented. Hmm. Now, early last week when you announced an increment in transport fares, uh, the ministry came out uh, to say that there had not been any meeting between yourselves and the ministry. Did this come up in today's meeting? Not at all. Not at all. He was just looking at his relationship with us. Why didn't we uh, come to him? And uh, Our people were also... We were also saying, yes, at times, you know, we are leading a very large congregation. So many things were done without even consulting us as the play, best playmakers of the industry. So we also did say, man, we don't think anyone should fall foul to uh, any side. So finally, we were able, they, we brought our grievances. They also told us, they are side, and finally, we will have to go back and have another meeting again. How soon do you want uh, an announcement in the increment in transport fares? We would have even wished today we we, we finalize everything. But of course, the ministry also have a genuine case. Although they knew very well prices of items have changed, they have demanded a documentary proof of which we will prepare it within the shortest possible time and get back to them. I'm a little concerned about the announcement last week. You knew you had not met with the ministry. It is not automatic. Don't go there. Don't go there. Mm. But it well, was, it, was, was so, it a move to just shake the foundations for it, the ministry it, it to invite you to a, a meeting? Thing. It has happened before. So if we are to correct certain things and move forward nicely. Let's all accept them. Because after all, what we are doing is about the whole nation. Drivers are looking up to us. Everybody mm. is waiting today to hear what exactly we are going to come up with. So if care is not taken, you would have poor petrol in the fire. So please, let us uh, see it the way it is, the way it will not generate into anything else. Mm. You, you said drivers are looking up to you. Passengers are yes, equally yes. looking and up to you. Passengers are equally looking up to us. Yes, mm. I left that. Yes. I'm very you have added that. So the how... whole nation is, is looking up to us. So we are very careful with whatever we say or whatever comes out to Initially, there was talk about a 60% increment. Then we heard about a 30% increment. My, my what mother, should passengers we could, we, expect? We, we, could, we could even justify 100% increment. That is what they have asked of. 
Mm. But normally, as we've been saying, whatever upward adjustment we come out with, we've been sacrificing some. Mm. Anytime we make calculations, we bring out the projection, meaning we have sacrificed some of the percentages. That's exactly what we did last time. Mm. The ministry is asking you to justify your demands. So what percentage did you present to the ministry? And then, we, of course, how are you backing it? We presented more than 20% and we arrived at the 20% since we have been, we've been sacrificing almost every time that we come up with upward adjustments. After all, who are the passengers? We've been saying they are our relatives. We know that you have petitioned the Speaker of Parliament for a reconsideration of the emission levy bill. Um, ha- have you received any response with respect to this? Not now. And that is why we did not include the echo tax and the, op- and the new fact into the decision we took. That we took the decision excluding the echo tax and the new right now how soon are you returning to the ministry uh with your documentations you want to hear something from me you've asked this question i've told you as soon as possible we are going to make sure we won't belong with whatever we have to do thank you very much and uh, we wish you your media we will still use your and this is your media or your platform to tell our people why we're talking to, we are pleading they should still maintain what we are taking for now until we come out very clearly so that nobody will think drivers are taking advantage of anybody, not as it is our business that we are trying to defend. We thank you very much. Right, thank you very much, and we wish you well. Uh, Bas Imoro is the Industrial Relations Officer of the Ghana Private Road Transport Union, GPRTU. Eno has some more stories. The Ghana Tertiary Education Commission is cautioning students against pursuing unaccredited programs at various universities in Ghana. The commission warns that students who study such programs may be denied employment in government institutions and won't be allowed to undertake their national service. The Director General of the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, Professor Ahmed Abdullahi Jinapo, says these measures are designed to ensure that all schools offer only accredited courses. Mission is the body mandated by law to give accreditation, and we decide when accreditation starts and when it ends. Uh, regarding those that have not been accredited previously, where we've had people source such programs, uh, we've tried as much as possible to make sure that we clear that backlog, to make sure that all those programs that were not accredited, as as before, those programs are, are given the accreditation that it needs. And uh, moving forward, as I indicated, on our website, our website normally publishes programs that are accredited. The assumption is that if a program is not accredited, it will not find space on our website. What we intend doing is that we want to take it a bit further than that. Programs that are not accredited, that are advertised on institutions, are going to be put on our website with the caption that they are not accredited. And not just that, we are working with National Service Secretariat to make sure that programs that are not accredited Graduates from such institutions do not do national service. If you happen to have sourced a program that is not accredited, you will not be placed on national service because we send the data 
to national service in terms of students who qualify to be placed on national service. In fact, if it becomes necessary, programs that are not accredited and sourced by students, those students may not be given employment because at the end of the day, certificates in terms of their validation is done by the commission. Professor Ahmed Jinnapur further noted that tertiary institutions would not be accredited to offer courses outside their niche areas. So JTEC has set up a body that is going to be directly responsible for ensuring that institutions stay within their niche area or within their mandate. That is the policy approval committee, which is going to have membership from technical universities, from traditional universities, from people within the private university architecture. And we are thinking of getting somebody of high stature to chair that committee. The committee is supposed to ensure that whatever programs we bring before us is of national relevance. It is one that will ensure that at the end of the day, you are not getting into programs that are not relevant to us as a nation. That said, as you may be aware, the commission at a point in time somewhere in October did put a freeze on the acceptance of new programs. Informed by the work that we've done, being able to clear the backlog, being able to give accreditation to so many programs, close to about 1,000 programs within the last quarter, the commission has come to the decision that we are going to lift that ban starting 1st February to 2024. So beginning 1st February 2024, we are going to accept new programs from institutions, but as we indicated in our previous letter, you need to demonstrate that you have a clean slate of sheets. You heard the Director General of the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, Professor Ahmed Abdullahi Jinnapo. Now, Deputy Majority Leader and Member of Parliament for Efutu, Alexander Penyamakin, is urging Guineans to create a peaceful atmosphere and remain united during the election period. The MP believes that a tense atmosphere does not augur well for the development of Ghana's democracy. Speaking at the Winneba Secondary School after presenting some beds to students, he also urged both political and non-political actors to be mindful of their utterances as the elections draw closer. Let's remain peaceful, let's remain united. We are one people. It doesn't matter which party you belong. Elections will come and go. Families will remain, friends will remain. So let us express our views without hurting each other. Let's be careful of our choice of words. As teachers, we may have the CPPs, the MPPs and NDCs, but let us talk about politics in a lively manner. Don't let us create unnecessary acrimony that would affect the environment of teaching and create a toxic relationship amongst yourselves. And again, let me remind you that in Parliament we don't fight. Don't be deceived by what you see on your TV screens. You know, after the debate, we'll get in there and we eat together, we drink together. So, Sorry if you think we fight over there. Politicians themselves are not enemies to themselves. In the chamber we know it's political business. Out of the chamber, of the cameras, we are friends. So don't be deceived and think that you have to go and swear that your firstborn should die. Really? Really? It shouldn't be. So let's be careful about these things. You heard the Member of Parliament for Efutu, Alexander Apenyo-Markin. Now, organized labor has issued a seven-day ultimatum to the government demanding the withdrawal 
of the imposition of value-added tax, VAT, on electricity consumption above the lifeline. The new tax policy announced by the finance minister as part of the economic recovery program post-COVID-19 has faced strong opposition from the various worker unions. Uh, let's go on the phone lines and speak to the Deputy General's, uh, Deputy Secretary General rather, of the TUC, Joshua Ansa. Good evening, sir. Good evening, my brother. I trust you are well. We are by the grace of God, Thank you so much for your time. Let's get straight into it. Now, when did this come to the attention of the TUC? Because this was announced by the finance minister uh, in the budget as part of the economic recovery program. Thank you, my brother, for this very question. Let me say that this came to landlight and to the hearing of everybody when we cited a letter that had been signed by the finance minister on the directive to the ECG and the um, uh, PRC and the rest actually clap an increase of a uh, VAT of 15% on electricity bills for lifeline consumers. So it's something that is, is known already, but it officially came up when we started the official letter written by the finance minister. And today you are registering your position to this. You're issuing a seven-day ultimatum in the event that the seven days elapse and, of yeah. course, you have no response. What next? Like we stated in our statement, organized labor will advise itself. And by advice itself, uh, what exactly do you mean? Any advice is advice. A union, when a union is saying it will advise itself, you, if you know it, you know must do what you know do when one party is refusing to understand or to compromise with this decision. You see, the decision is not popular. It's going to add additional burden to the workers of this very country. And the workers who actually contribute to the development of this very country are saying that this is a no-go area. They can no longer bear it. And as a government, for the people, and by the people, and for the people, we say that this directive must be withdrawn. I think it's very straightforward advice to the government to draw it. If it doesn't draw it, I mean, unions have their structures, unions have their decisions, and when they get to the bridge, you cross it. Organized labor is made up of uh, worker unions who largely need electricity uh, to go about their businesses and, of course, in their residences for domestic use. Now, would you rather, we've seen uh, shadows of the dreaded doomsaw rearing its head again, would you rather not support moves by government uh, to raise enough revenue to keep the lights on? No, but my brother, so that, is that the only means that the government can use to bring back the light. They are telling us it's not doing so. They are telling us a whole lot of stories. And is that only way? Taxing and bringing back, in addition to the ready existing bills, which workers are not paid, is the only means government can use in, in, in bringing back the light or something like that sort. I don't think this is the only source. As a government, I mean, you must be concerned about the plight of your people. Workers are already suffering. And I don't think that that's the only way that government can use to, 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 to reach the state, the, the, the problem in the electricity and supply of this very country. I think there are so many things. Let me tell you, in Ghana, many, many, many people do not pay taxes. What is the government doing about it? So is it, is it a crime for you to pay taxes so that every uh, year or every month or whatever, additional taxes are added to what you already pay? We think that it is not fair. It's not fair. A lifeline of 30 kilowatts per hour 
Which 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 consumes only a few bob and a fan or a half television or something, and they don't want to take VAT on it. My brother, I don't think it's fair. That is why workers are resisting it with all their might. That 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 is not true, my brother. You think government is taking the easy road, looking for an easy way out of its economic quagmire? As you think so, because if you are bringing additional taxes or uh, adding introducing a fact on a bill that you already pay, which includes so many taxes, then I think it's an easy way for, for the government to do that. Let government work harder and find several ways. There are several ways government can use in getting money to, 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 to solve the, uh, the economic problems in this very country. But you'll be bedling workers every day. I mean, I don't think it's it, it, true, my brother. Thank you very much, sir, and uh, we wish you well. You're welcome. Thank you. Joshua Ansan is the Deputy Secretary General of the Trades Union Congress. And, of course, uh, together with organized labor, have issued a seven-day ultimatum to the government uh, to withdraw the imposition of value-added tax, VAT, on electricity consumption above the lifeline. Let's bring you some more stories. In- the, Ho- the High Court in Ho, hearing the Hohoi election petition, has set February 7 to rule on an application seeking to withdraw an early application for judgment on admission. The petitioners represented by Chachuchikata initially applied for judgment based on admissions allegedly made by the Electoral Commission. The petitioners are seeking to nullify the election of Peter Amou as MP of the Hohoi constituency due to the exclusion of voters in the Santrikofi Likpe Akpafu and Lolobi Enclave in the 2020 polls. The petitioners now, with Peter Amou filing his late appearance in the matter, have backtracked on the plea for judgment on admission. They have prayed for the court to grant leave for the withdrawal of the application for judgment on admission to make way for a full trial. The judge is set to rule on this matter on February 7. A third accused person in the alleged murder of a 35-year-old businesswoman at Sokoban in the Ashanti region has appeared in court following his arrest over the weekend. Two accused persons, including the deceased house help Alistair John, are on trial for the alleged murder of Princess Efiahinkai. The second accused, James Anoche, was denied bail by the court, which cited reasons such as his safety and the prosecution awaiting advice from the Attorney General's office to commence the committal process. The third accused, 23-year-old Collins O'Toole, has also been remanded in prison custody. This deceased relative have expressed satisfaction with the progress of the case. Everything is in hand of the prosecutor, so we are waiting to see what will happen next. But we've got assurance that they are not going to come out for now. We are happy. Finally, they have arrested them, three of them, so we are waiting for the, the next step. The police, the CID, they've done their job. They've done well, 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 well. We have appreciated them and up for them. We are very happy today of the outcome of the hearing today. So we are hoping that, you know, God will make a way for everything to come up to And we have very happy because of the third person that has been caught. You heard relatives of a 35-year-old businesswoman killed at Sokobai in the Ashanti region. The case has been adjourned to February 6, 2024. Away from the courts, members of parliament for constituencies in the Volta region affected 
by the Akosombo floods have stated that they are yet to receive the allocated funds from the 2024 budget for relief efforts. Parliament approved 220 million Ghana cities in the 2024 budget to support relief efforts for communities affected by floods caused by the Akosombo and Pong dams village. Despite concerns from the minority about the inadequacy of the allocation, the MPs have not received any funds and plan to raise questions when Parliament resumes sitting on February 6. Member of Parliament for Ketakwame Jujoli Gakpe spoke to City News. Are you worried as a member of Parliament because this was approved in November last year? Um, two months roughly down the lane, we've, we've not heard anything. The year just begins. And the budget starts from, you know, they are not collecting the rest. So, and it's too early for that. Kwame Jujali Gakpe is Member of Parliament for Keta, one of the constituencies affected by the Akusambu Dam floods. The Electoral Commission has proposed the date for both presidential and parliamentary elections be moved from December 7 to November 7. The EC also wants election days to be designated as national holidays. The proposals were put forward during the Interparty Advisory Committee IPAC meeting held on Monday, January 22, 2024. Now, the Electoral Commission presented these proposals aiming to stimulate discussions and potential enhancements to the electoral process. Let's now go on to the phone lines and speak to the General Secretary of the People's National Convention, PNC, Janet Nabila. Good evening, madam. Good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time this evening. And uh, if you can shed more light... uh, with us regarding the IPAC meeting, really, what was the EC's reasons for the proposals? One, for the revision of election dates from December 7 to November 7, and of course, uh, the designation of election days as holidays. Let me greet you and your uh, listeners this evening. Yesterday, we had an IPAC meeting. And at the meeting, it was um, Electoral Commission uh, told us that in 2015, political parties came together and demanded that the date be shifted from December to November. So uh, it's not like Electoral Commission just got up and came up. That is what they told us, that it was because the political parties demanded that whenever um, there is a transition, like after December, uh, this in, after elections, if we are having a runoff, things become so difficult for them to... Um, uh, the time is usually limited, 21 days, to conduct the next election. And also, even handing over. After 7 December, then they will have to do this in handing over before the new government comes into place. They said it's usually very difficult and tedious, especially in conducting the elections. And also, uh, the political parties also said even the handing over uh, time is usually so short so as a result, uh, we took a petition there. So yesterday, the Electoral Commission told us that they were working on the political party's petition. It wasn't because of um, the SDA people. No, no, no. They were working on the um, uh, political parties, our petition, as to uh, why we should have um, a holiday on election day. They said they have um, a case study whereby uh, the time that we... Uh, 
they have to go to uh, the chief of staff to ask for a date to be uh, to, to to plead before a day was handed for them to conduct the elections. And they said any time they, um, they 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 were able to compare the time that uh, election day was a holiday, and then the time that election day wasn't a holiday, and the difference were clear. They saw that the percentages as to when the election day was a holiday, voters uh, turn uh, uh, turnout were so uh, different, were, were bigger than when it wasn't uh, a holiday. So because of that, they said they don't want to continuously be writing letters to electoral, uh, to chief of staff demanding for holidays. So they wanted to now make it permanent by sending, um, by, by going to parliament to see whether parliament would approve it to become a, a holiday. So these are the two uh, major, <laughs> major uh, issues that were discussed at NEC, uh, at, uh, at Electoral Commission and our IPAC meeting. And they have asked all political parties to go back to their parties to talk to them and come out with our final decision so that they will know what to do. Mm. This will not be the first time uh, this proposal is coming up, um, especially the revision of the date from December 7 to November 7. Um, what, in your own estimation, may have stalled the, uh, the, the initial uh, proposal or the initial move to have the dates changed from December 7 uh, to November 7? Um, as a political party, it's true that the, time, the handing over a time is usually too short. The handing over time is usually too short uh, as a, for, for, for new government to usually come into place. So that is the reason why in 2015 there was a petition. That's the reason why. And the Electoral Commission said they have not worked on it. But recently, a lot of people have been complaining. As a result, they have decided to, uh, to work on it. That's what they said yesterday. But it's true. As political parties, both NPP, NDC, PNC, and all the other political parties that were present, we agreed that what they were saying was the best. But we were scared because when are they going to send it to Parliament? And when will it be passed? When will it? Because they, they, they are supposed to come out with so many things before they go to Parliament. And they have not yet done that. So we're wondering when the bill can get to Parliament and when it will be passed. I think that was what NPP uh, was worried about. NPP said the, date, the time was too short for them to be able to do that. But they said they can do it. Thank you. But before we let you go, let's uh, do a little bit of PNC. Uh, let's have a PNC conversation. When are we going to have the presidential primaries? It will be on the twenty fourth of twenty uh, fourth of uh, March. Twenty um, fourth March. Right. Which nominations uh, have you received? Who are some of the individuals that are uh, filed to contest in the flag bearer race of the party? We have um, we have Samson Asaki, we have Bernard Mona, we have Dr. Ayinsu, and I've been hearing about two other people that are coming, but they've not yet contacted me, so I'm waiting. Right, and uh, March is just about uh, two months away. How prepared yes. is the party for the primaries? Oh, the party is prepared. We are very much prepared for the elections uh, in March 2024, we are prepared and everything is in place. So, 24th of March, we will be there. You will be invited. 
we're looking forward to that invitation but uh we, we know of a rift i mean uh, we know how your seat are you being general secretary being contest by, contested by another individual i mean uh, what assurances or how do you convince us that in the uh, during or after the march primaries there wouldn't be a, a, any qualms and that the pnc will have its flag bearer and will have ample time to prepare for the general elections in december Truth be told, the PNC is a political party that has been peaceful as compared to other political parties. And we don't, um, anytime we elect our flag bearer, all other people just will fall in line to make sure that we, um, we disseminate our information out there so that the people can buy our ideas. Because the PNC is a political party that have helped the people of this country through policies. Without the PNC, PNC is always campaigning based on policies and not on insults. So for the PNC, as for the PNC, I don't think uh, there will be any, uh, we will have any problems after picking our flag bearer. Whenever we pick our flag bearer, we become more stronger, we support and we make sure that um, we tell Ghanaians what we can do to be able to make their lives better. Where will the election be held and what will be the nature of the election? Will it be centralized or decentralized? Will it be nationwide? Um, that was in February, February 2023. Uh, National Executive Committee met and said it was going to be held in Tamale. Um, um, so uh, Northern Region is the place that will, will hold the Congress. Tamale. All right, thank you very much, and uh, we wish you well. Thank you so much. Janet Nabila is the General Secretary of the People's National Convention, PNC. Let's do some more stories. The, the Director General of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaje, has expressed the service's commitment to improving quality health care across the country. He made the comment at the launch of a $25 million partnership between the service and the United States Agency for International Development. This agreement will support the Ghana Health Service to improve the quality of primary health care delivery at community health facilities and health centers. He has Director General of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaji, addressing the media during the launch. This is a government-to-government agreement, which means that from USAID to Ghana Health Service, through Minister of Health and Finance, signed an agreement of cooperation to deliver certain services. Over the years, USAID works through um, other agencies, like maybe Jepaigo, etc., as an intermediary between us and them. But once they build confidence in our systems, they are now also willing to work directly with us so that they give funding directly to the government, which is Ghana Health Service, to implement activities. What we intend, what this is going to help us to do primarily is to improve our march towards investor health coverage. Yeah, the Director General of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaji. Stay with us here on 97.3 FM. This is Eyewitness News. When we come back, management of City FM and City TV hands over second shelter project to house over 200 displaced victims in Ada. We'll tell you more shortly. Do stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. 
Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Enosaf. Let's settle for the details. The second tranche of 600 million U.S. dollars from the International Monetary Fund has officially hit the account of the Bank of Ghana. The cash meant for budget support and the stabilization of the local currency was credited to the central bank's account today, January 23, 2023. City Business News understands that unlike the first tranche, which was meant to address Ghana's balance of payment issues, the government will be using second tranche to finance certain projects and programs in the 2024 budget. All other things being equal, Ghana's next IMF program review will take place in six months for the third tranche of 720 million U.S. dollars. The second tranche has also unlocked additional funding from other international donors. The executive board of the World Bank is expected to advance some 300 million U.S. dollars in budget support for Ghana after a meeting today for the necessary approval. The disbursement will help Ghana in its recovery, attract investment and restore a sustainable growth path while driving the country's debt sustainability. It will take a few days for the amount to be drawn down if approved. Now, Finance Minister Ken Ufariata has reaffirmed government's commitment in building a more conducive environment for businesses to thrive. According to him, the disbursement of the $600 million second tranche IMF bailout package plus the World Bank $300 million cash for budget support will strengthen the general economic outlook to bolster resilience. Speaking at a roundtable framework discussion with German businesses in Ghana, Ken Ufariata assured of continuous engagement with both local and foreign partners to sustain growth. Unfortunately, also, um, the, the World Bank was supposed to meet this coming Friday, and that may be another 300 million plus another 250 for financial stability. Um, so clearly, it's a great way to begin the year, uh, but that is looking at the austerity issue, making sure the macro fiscals are in order um, so that we have a playing field that we can work with. Um, but then, given that uh, with this new ray of hope um, is then the idiosyncratic issues of um, how we relate to the private sector, Germany or China or whatever. Um, so last week, Friday, we did meet uh, with the Chinese private sector to understand also their issues. And, um, but for us, um, I think our relationship with, with Germany um, is unique. Um, Chancellor was here, uh, had very um, far-reaching discussions um, with, um, with our president uh, and some of the cabinet uh, ministers. Finance Minister Ken Ufriata there. On her part, Deputy Ambassador for the Federal Republic of Germany to Ghana, Sivine Jansen, impressed on the Ghana Revenue Authority to adopt a more friendly approach towards businesses in its quest to enhance revenue mobilization. As the tough measures Ghana had to take to get back on track are understandable, we acknowledge the government's effort the tax base in order to rope in the large informal sector. 
These measures can reduce the considerable financial burden of businesses that are faithfully paid their taxes. However, in the area of revenue mobilization, we believe that a more business-friendly approach could be adopted by the Ghana Revenue Authority. Currently, the relationship between businesses and tax authorities appear to be a little bit tense. This is certainly not because companies have a problem fulfilling their tax obligations, not because they have a problem with their tax rates. It is because those companies who have been paying their taxes already feel that they are being targeted, sometimes even squeezed. Processes should be more transparent and more foreseeable, and procedures to challenge decisions by the authority should be, should be put in place and work smoothly. A greater transparency and a more forthcoming approach by GRA, especially in challenging processes, could help to return to a cooperative relationship. That was the Deputy Ambassador of the Federal Republic of Germany to Ghana, Sabine Janssen. Tax analyst Francis Timor Boy has lauded the move by the government not to scrap the COVID-19 levy. He is, however, joining calls by some stakeholders for it to be transformed into a dedicated health fund. The COVID-19 levy generated over 7.76 million Ghana cities for the government in 2021 and is expected to raise about 4.4 billion cities in revenue for the government in 2024. Speaking to City Business News, Francis Tomoboy said government needs more revenue from the tax to improve other aspects of the economy, such as the health sector. It's a good call because um, some of us have made this call as far as 2020, uh, October 2023. So if um, we're calling for a portion of this uh, COVID-19 levy, we have already mentioned that it has at least its usefulness. However, government has indicated that it is not their intention to scrap it now. And um, if you look at the numbers, this is a huge revenue. In 2021, government realized $776 million. And as of 2024, we are expecting over $4.4 billion Ghana cities from COVID-19 alone. Uh, if, you, if you look at the amount, it, it is even more than the e-levy and then the communication service tax combined. So it's a huge revenue and so it, it will be in the, in, in, in the right direction for government to allocate some of this funds to this uh, immunization program that we are seeing. Francis Timoboy is a tax analyst. Glyco Healthcare has relaunched its Sunqua Health Plan and introduced the Glyco eHealth app. The Sunqua Health Plan is an innovative health insurance product designed for Ghanaians living in the diaspora who would like to purchase health insurance plans for their families and loved ones back home in Ghana. The Glyco eHealth app also offers medical services from the comfort of the home or on the go right from the phone. Speaking at an event to mark the relaunch and introduction of the product, CEO of Glyco Healthcare, Mamia Friyebwachi, shared some of the benefits of the health plan. The Sunkan is designed for people in the diaspora to purchase or buy for their families here. You realize that um, there are instances where people get sick or fall ill and their relatives abroad have to run helter-skelter to sort of find money to, you know, bring a home to take care of them. But this gives the convenience, so to speak. So if someone purchases for their family back home, you have the peace of mind and the convenience the whole year. So if your mom falls ill, your dad falls ill, your child over here, your niece or nephew, rest assured, 
you'll be taken care of with a glyco health SIM card. And so um, it gives services and convenience. Mame Efriye Boache is the CEO of Glyco Healthcare. Away from that, the Vuna Regional Branch of the Public Utility Regulatory Commission has recovered 10 million Ghana cities for utility providers. The Vuna Regional Manager of the Public Utility Regulatory Commission, Patrick Nanayao Enchi, disclosed this during a meeting with utility providers in the region. The meeting was to review the performance of the utility providers, which included the Ghana Water Company Limited, Volta River Authority and Northern Electricity Distribution Company. We had various complaints in 2023. We had about 1,565 complaints that came in, and about 95% of those complaints were resolved. Most of these complaints had to do with billing issues, um, power outages. We also had issues of new service connections, and um, um, illegal connection issues, of course, also came up. And um, within that year, out of all these numbers that came to report their case to us, we were able to make sure that an adjustment of 85,000 plus was gotten for consumers. And when I say adjustment, these are basically monies that went back to consumers that were wrongfully billed or not were not given the wrong bills for them to pay. And of course, we also assisted the utilities in also making some money out of people who are owing them. So, you know, normally the consumers also have the chance or the opportunity to bring complaints to us. So anytime um, utilities have people who are owing them, they also send letters to them and copy us. And in fact, what we do is we also follow up on it and make sure that um, they are paid. Um, out of that, we had about 10 million recoveries for the utilities as well, going to both Ghana Water and um, VRA. Patrick Nanayao Enchi is the Buna Regional Manager of the Public Utility Regulatory Commission. The Buna Regional Communications Manager for GWCL, Nicholas Niabe, also spoke on issues regarding meter theft. Okay, so what currently is happening within the Ghana Water Network has to do with uh, some unscrupulous people who try to steal most of our meters. Uh, what we've observed is that uh, most of our meters are stolen. The safety valves are equally stolen, uh, just as the stopcocks are also stolen. From our intelligence, it seems that most of these things are sold to the scrap dealers. And so what we intend doing, as far as 2024 is concerned, is to have a meeting with uh, the association of scrap dealers within the Bono region. And we intend to have that in February. Uh, one of the things we want to do is that as part of this meeting, the security agencies and the regulator, which is the PURC, will be present, as well as the media. We want to see how best we can get these things resolved amicably. You heard the Bono Regional Communications Manager for the Ghana Water Company Limited, Nicholas Nee Abbey. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. The Business News on Eyewitness News is brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Inusafo. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
Thank you so much for staying on with us. It's now time for Point Blank on Eyewitness News. The management of City FM and City TV has handed over the second shelter project to displace victims in Ada, located in the Ada East District. This marks the second commission project in January for those affected by the Akosombo Dam floods as part of the City Foundation's rebuild phase of the relief support. Now, the Ada project is estimated to accommodate about 200 people, while other projects are yet to be commissioned in the Central Tongue, North Tong districts and the Pandu municipality. We'll be speaking to my colleague uh, Umaru Sanda Amadu, who was with the team, to shed more light on what transpired in Adan today. But first, let's listen to General Manager of City FM and City TV, Bernard Avle. What began as the natural response of a media house to a disaster in the form of sending a journalist to tell a story? has grown to become a big edifice that we'll be commissioning in the next few minutes. And for that, we give all the glory to God. You can put your hands together for the Lord. What we are witnessing here today is a mixture of a number of things. Responsive journalism that goes where the problem is, but also responsible local leadership whether it is Shola connecting the reporter to the assemblyman, or the assemblyman connecting us to other assembly people, or the DC receiving us with open arms, even though she wasn't aware initially we were there, this project we are launching today is the culmination of that responsible local leadership, for which I think we should put our hands together for all the local leaders. But today is also a celebration of active citizenship because we have received donations and support from places too many to mention. Ghanaians, with some of who have no direct connection to the flooded areas, have driven from far and near to donate food, money, water, clothes, and materials to enable us to reach out to the community. Today is also a celebration of responsible corporate citizenship because each man based on his ability each company based on their resources we have seen Ghanaian companies come to the aid of flood victims in ways we have never seen before and i think that what we are celebrating today is not just the launch of a building but a spark that shows that the spirit of the ghana Nkrumah wanted to build still exists that a Ghanaian who is not connected to a problem can, based on the leadership of a responsible media house, contribute their quota to changing the lives of somebody. And for that, we are grateful. What we are doing here is not an isolated issue. Beyond the relief items we supplied and the reports we did, the City Foundation quickly realized that what was befalling us in various parts of the country was more than simply a flooding issue. It was revealing the many challenges in our communities, the, the low employment, poor housing, lack of proper social services, for which we needed a solution that would tie all the loose ends together. So a few days into the campaign, we decided that we would take the daring step of 
building resettlement shelters because some of the reports showed people whose houses had been devastated, some of which could not be rebuilt for many, many months. We realized, though, that because a lot of these people want to own their own houses, they may not want to stay in a resettlement shelter forever. And based on the deliberation and the advice of the DC and the local leaders, we decided to do a two-in-one. We're building a resettlement shelter that can contain up to 200 people. But when the permanent solution is done and they move back to their residences or they get their own houses, we don't want the building to become a white elephant. So the district has agreed with us that this building we'll be commissioning today would revert to become a skills training center, fully equipped and furnished to provide the necessary skills and training for a lot of the women and the young people in this community, for which I think we should put our hands together for the assembly for that vision. But what we are doing is not just here at Adan East, because when the flooding became serious, there were calls for the water to recede. But even before the water receded, we had sent support to places from as far as Aswojaman, down to North Tong, Central Tong, and South Tong. We went to Upper Manya and came all the way to Keta, Ketu South, and Anglo, and also Adan East. But in the chair, when the waters receded, those upstream of the Volta also started getting flooded. So we received distress calls from Afajato South, South Dai, North Dai, Bando Toko, all the way to Yape Kusohu, Afram Plains South and Afram Plains North. And I'm happy to say that with the support of listeners and viewers of CTFM and CTTV, we have sent relief items to at least 19 constituencies in this country. So when we come today, the 23rd of January to Ada to commission this project, it is not to say we are the best. It is to say that even though many things are not going well, Ghanaians can come together, put their resources together, and demonstrate active corporate citizenship. In many countries, there are people who think only of themselves. Those people will not amount to anything. There are also people who think of just their immediate friends and family. Those people will not go very far. But there are also people who think about others who are not related to them, who say, I am because you are, who embrace the spirit of Ubuntu, and that is the spirit with which City Foundation has come today. So without wasting much time, I want to say thank you to all who have contributed to making today a reality. We want to give the glory to God, for every house is built by some man, but the builder of all things is God. So after the speeches, we will go and cut the sword and commission the building to the glory of God, to show that never again will people be displaced and be left helpless. That was the general manager of CTFM and CTTV, Bernard Avle. Let's now hear from the Asafu Chengwa of the Kujiragbe clan, Nene Chachu Pediato V. The Akosobo Dam spillage has affected Ada East very badly, and it will take years for the affected persons to recover from their losses. As we speak, ladies and gentlemen, a total number of communities that were affected were 28, which translated in a total of 5,685 persons who got affected in the whole period. This comprises male adults, female adults, and children of school-going ages. A total number of six schools were affected, and this affected teaching and learning even up to now. 
We also had 236 houses affected. Some were cracked, others were collapsed completely due to the high magnitude of the water that entered the affected communities. After the water receded, some of these affected people have been living with friends and families or family members due to the destruction of their houses and this makes some of them very uncomfortable because they have moved completely away from their livelihoods which is fishing. Also, ladies and gentlemen, it is worth noting that feeding has been an issue for some of these people who have been displaced by the dam spillage. The reason being that their businesses have been destroyed. Some live, livestock, including pigs, fowls, goats, etc., were washed away, which renders owners who were disturbed, some of them who had invested money to raise these animals for income. Our farmlands were also affected in some of the communities, which includes the following Totime Kopi, Futuenya, Adidiche Kopi, Anyakpo, and most of the villages along the Vota Basin in the Adan East District. The affected farmers cannot start farming because they had invested a lot in the crops and they planted them before the spillage began. Fisherfolk cannot get back to their normal fishing because of the debris such as mud with stamps that were brought from upstream of the Volta River all the way from the Sujaman district. As Adan East is the last that receives all these debris. The women who depend on the fishermen to get a catch for fishes and clams so that they can at least smoke or fry and serve some to get money are unable to do that because they don't have enough money to rebuild their houses and feed their children as well. Neneche, ladies and gentlemen, the other peculiarity of the Adran traditional area is that it is at the receiving end of the waters of the Volta River and the sea. The sea is fast eating away the land and if no action is taken, would eat away all the beautiful islands on which we can build an attractive tourist attractions. The estuary also urgently needs a breakwater to be built to reduce its attack on the land. As a result, we call on the philanthropists, international donor countries, and other international bodies to come to the aid of Adan with donations to help our farmers restart their lives. We also call on an early removal of the debris, the waste and weeds from the water to make it possible for our farmers to ply their trade. Again, the desilting of the Volta River in Adan would make it possible to contain more water and create the defense around the islands. Nenechel, ladies and gentlemen, all these problems which have affected the district are giving the paramount chief a sleepless night. But thank God, City TV and City FM, upon hearing the flood issues, came personally to the district to ascertain the actual issues for themselves and they sent information through the news to the public domain so that individuals, NGOs, and companies can come to the aid of the affected communities. We know that some items were received. They included food, water, and other supplies to help our displaced individuals to be able to be relieved of the challenges. City TV, City FM initiated the project to provide a shelter for the accommodate, uh, to accommodate the affected people and Jeche. Nene Abram Kabwa Kwanko is very grateful to all of you 
for all that you have done to us. And we would like to use this opportunity to appeal to City TV and CTFM to use their network to continue to solicit for more assistance for the affected victims. And this can be done in any form, be it a small startup capital for the women who are affected and also farmers whose farm got destroyed to be able to get back to their respective businesses. Neneche, the management of City TV, CTFM, Neneme, Naname. On this note, I would like to say a very big thank you to City TV and the management and to all donors who supported the City TV and City FM network to come to the aid of the victims of the Akosobo Dam spillage in Adair. The traditional council and the district assembly will do everything that is possible to put the facility that you are donating to us today to good use. Nene Chachu Pediato the Fifth is the Asafo Chengwa of the Kujrabe clan. Let's stay on this matter and speak to my colleague Umaru Sanda Amadu, in whose seat I am currently sitting. Hello, Sanda, good evening. We seem to have lost uh, Sanda Dam, but uh, basically what it is is that the management of City FM and City TV has handed over the second shelter project to displace victims in Ada, located in the Adais district. This marks the second commission project in January for those affected by the Akosombo Dam floods as part of the City Foundation's rebuild phase of the relief support. The Adam project is estimated to accommodate 200 people, while other projects are yet to be commissioned in Central Tong, North Tong, and the Pandu municipality. Uh, we have Sanda back on the line. Good evening, Sanda. Good evening, Sanda. How are you? Very well, thank you. You have had a long day. I mean, going to Adam and uh, and all, you must be quite weary. Charlie, it's, it's, it's uh, weary, but uh, it's exciting. The heart is happy with what's wrong with the body because uh, when you go out and help people, uh, it is really what our calling is. We are media people. We report people's plight. And when we have the opportunity to solve people's problems, it is something that gives us joy and excitement. I'm excited to see that people I went to visit in areas like Azizakwe, in uh, Azizania and other places have all been house today uh, with, the, with the facility that we managed to put together for them, uh, which facility is going to house 200 people. When I went there in October, to the specific October 17, and I saw people's houses collapsed. Uh, these are houses made of mud, which have collapsed. I've seen water gush into people's homes, into people's kitchens. It was really a troubling thing. And beyond the relief items we sent, management decided, let's put up this dormitory structure for them. And today, seeing the excitement on their faces, it really is something that gives me joy. And I'm not for that. Uh, the City Foundation, City of and City TV, that is, we have done what we have actually promised people we would do. And indeed, something we should be grateful for. And also be grateful to the people who supported us financially so that we can all, also go and support these people. It was a beautiful thing, just like what we saw in Toko last week, not before. Clear fulfillment there. I'm sure the smiles on the faces of uh, these beneficiaries, especially the children, will bring so much uh, joy to the heart. From Adan, uh, wh where next? Because we've come from so, Toko and we've done Adan today. 
Well, so we have other projects coming up in Pando, Toko. Uh, Pando is in the Volta region. We also have a project coming up in New Bakpa, where we are building a whole community. There's also a plan to put up a market center for Akatin uh, in the Upper Manya district. And of course, we have also a plan to build a chief compound in um, the Northern district, to be specific, in Mepe. And so these are the projects that we have in mind. Management would announce formally what we are going to do in subsequent days. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Umaru Sanda Amadu is my colleague uh, in whose seat uh, I am currently sitting. And Sanda Amas admits that the seat is quite hot. But yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Well... That will be it for Point Blank and, of course, Eyewitness News here on 97.3 City FM. Uh, many thanks for your time. My name is Nanatsufo Boateng. I did this with Eno Safo. Production by Kobna Wilson, Bevelyn London and Sami Wiafe. Technical support from Desmond Nyako. Many thanks for listening and do have a good evening.